The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Here we go. Stanzi on fourth down. Flushed out of the pocket. Looking deep. Airing it out. Into the end zone. It is tipped and incomplete. Northwestern takes over on downs. They actually have an opportunity. It's a Hail Mary with Culianos coming from the other side. Davis has a shot at it, number six. Northwestern, bad job because everybody converged on that football and nobody covered up the tip players for Iowa. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the new football show from Hawkeye's Mike. On this week's show, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and the reporter's roundtable segment featuring Hawk Central's Pat Hardy and Hawkeye Insider publisher Rob Howe. You'll hear from the opposing coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Ohio State's Jim Tressel. We'll review the Iowa Northwestern game and take a look at the Big Ten Conference. We'll also preview Iowa-Ohio State. The Iowa Northwestern game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with Dave Posh, Bob Greasy, and Chris Spielman. A great job calling the game. A three-man booth can be challenging, but these guys do a very nice job together. We very much appreciate it and thank them. I don't know how to put this but I'm kind of a big deal. Now they'll bring on Michael Meyer, true freshman field goal kicker. Both of his misses have been in the red zone this year. Along the season for Meyer is 42 yards. So it'll be a 32-yard attempt. And Meyer puts it through to get Iowa on the board. 24 seconds left in the first half. These football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefens Botanicals Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group in Coralville, Iowa. Marsh Cook, for all your investment needs. Rolling out, Stanzi, and McNutt has it. Touchdown! Iowa's got the lead. The sixth receiving touchdown this year for Marvin McNutt, and the Hawkeyes are on top for the first time today. And like Northwestern, in the first half, Iowa, with its first drive in the second half, makes it look easy. Northwestern continued its dominance over Iowa, and Pat Fitzgerald outcoached Kirk Ferentz once again, winning for the fifth time in the last six games and ninth in the last 14. In front of a sellout crowd at Ryan Field, many of them Hawk fans, Iowa started out the game badly and ended the same way, losing to the Wildcats 21-17. It was another fourth quarter failure, both offensively and defensively, and for the second week in a row, the Hawks did not look ready to play. That giant flushing sound you heard coming out of Evanston was Iowa's Big Ten title hopes going down the drain, along with any chance of playing in a BCS bowl game. What many fans and players thought might be a special season for the Hawks has turned into one of bitter disappointment. Iowa is more of a pretender than a contender. In a battle of highly rated quarterbacks, Dan Persa had a much better day than Ricky Stanzi. Iowa's vaunted defense, it was 
gassed and once again crumbled late in the game as Northwestern came from behind to score 14 straight points in the last six minutes. Prior to that, the Hawks had tallied 17 unanswered, but the offense could not sustain drives when it had to, or for that matter, pretty much all day. You can argue that the Iowa offense was a bigger failure in this game than the defense, which held the Wildcats' explosive offense to 21 points. In the Ference era, good Iowa teams have played their best in November. That's not the case so far this year. We know what's happening, just not why. Last year's team seemed to find ways to win. This year, not so much. Saturday's game at Kinnick Stadium when the Hawks host Ohio State is still a big game, but it's no longer a huge game. You have to wonder whether the Hawkeyes can bounce back after last weekend's devastating defeat, a season that started with much promise and high expectations is on the verge of disintegrating with Ohio State staring the Hawks in the face. That preseason top 10 ranking is a distant memory. In many years, Iowa fans might be excited about a 7-3 record at this point in the season. This year, it just doesn't feel very good. Iowa can still salvage a very good season and get in a decent bowl game, just not the one everyone wanted. That makes me angry. And when Dr. Evil gets angry, Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset. And when Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset, people die! HawkeyesMike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. Post-game notes and key stats, Saturday's announced attendance at Ryan Field marked the first Northwestern sellout of the season and the largest crowd there since 2008. More than 40% of those fans were black and gold. Iowa quarterback Ricky Stanzi completed 23 of 41 passes for 270 yards and two TDs. He also threw a critical interception in the fourth quarter for the season. Stanzi has 22 touchdown passes against only four picks. He's now third in Iowa career touchdown passes and fifth in career completions, attempts, and yards. Junior wide receiver Marvin McNutt ended the day with seven catches for 104 yards and one touchdown, while senior wideout Darrell Johnson Koulianos had a 70-yard touchdown reception, the longest of his career, and he finished the day with five catches for 104 yards. Running back Adam Robinson returned to action and gave a solid performance. 22 rushes for 108 yards. He has now rushed for over 100 yards and six of the nine games played this year. On the defensive side, freshman James Morris had another good game with a personal best 13 tackles, including one sack. Micah Hyde also registered a career high with 12 tackles, including 10 solos. Senior linebacker Jeremiah Hunter recorded the third interception of his career, the first for him this season. Red zone production was the main offensive problem against the Hoosiers the week before. This Saturday, it was a horrible third down conversion ratio. The Hawks were 2 of 2 in the red zone, but only converted two of 14 third down chances. Meanwhile, Northwestern was very good, converting on nine of 16 third down attempts, and the Wildcats were perfect in the red zone with three touchdowns. Key stats, first downs, Iowa 17, the Wildcats 26, net yards rushing, Iowa and Northwestern both finished the game with 101. Net yards passing, Iowa 270, Northwestern 318, total offense, the Hawkeyes 371 yards, the Wildcats 419. Total offensive plays, and this was a key stat in this game. Iowa runs 71 to Northwestern's 82. Possession time fairly even. The Hawks 28-51. The Wildcats 31-09. Stanzi with all kinds of time. Got a man! 
Johnson Culianos off to the races. Got in. Touchdown, Iowa. Iowa's all-time leading receivers would not be caught. 70-yard touchdown pass. But that play was set up by the ground game. Everything Iowa had going on the ground finally set up a big play. They had him open in the first half, guys. Missed it. They came right back to it in the second half. 17 unanswered points now for Iowa. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Visit prefins.com. Time now to hear from the coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa's head coach Kirk Ferentz was asked whether he identified the key problems in the Northwestern game. One thing, I, you know, I don't want to spend all day talking about last week, but you know, I, I think everybody ought to give their quarterback some credit. That's one of the better quarterbacks we've played against in 12 years. Uh, quarterback performances, first of all, he's a good player coming in, but uh, you know what he did Saturday was, you know, I thought pretty impressive. So, you know, to me it starts, they've got a good football team. I said that a week ago, and uh, the quarterback uh, we had great respect for him as I mentioned he, he played uh, at a higher level than I think any of us would have expected in the last throw that he made uh, a little bit like the throw that beat us at Iowa State a couple of years back I mean you know guys running to his right throws it to his left and uh, put it right on the money and those are tough plays to defend which kind of goes back to your point I mean they, they made some great plays so it's going to happen the more you get off one third down the better off you're going to be and the more you stay out there and that was a big part of the game the other day too if, if you wanted me to pinpoint one thing more so than the drives would be our inability to, to uh, convert on third down. And we, we put ourselves in a, in a lot of bad different situations, and bad situations during the course of the game, and third and longs are, are tough to convert, third and tens, third and sixteens. If you go back, look at their drives, and look at our drives that were productive, uh, the third down situations were, were good uh, for both offenses when they, they had productive drives. Ferentz talks about senior day at Kinnick and his senior class. Yeah, first of all, we expect a great crowd. Days are always really special. We've got 26 guys. Yeah, they're always hard. They're always, uh, it's part of college football. You always it's like your children leaving the home, you know. It's it's, uh, but it's part of the process, and can't say enough about what this group's done. I'll say more about it as the week goes on. But uh, you know what, what they've done collectively and individually is just very, very impressive. You know, we've got a, a wide range of guys that have played a long time, you know, three years, four years in some cases, and, uh, and then you've got other guys that are, are interesting. You know, guys like Pacquiao Mir, who's uh, been a great role player for us, special teams player, and uh, a guy like Josh Keppel, who came here as a walk-on. Pocky came here as a walk-on. Josh has filled in, done a great job the last two weeks, and been a really good, solid player for us for about three years now. And uh, you go right down the list there, Ross Peterson, Donnie Nordman, guys like that, Andy Schultz. And then you got some other guys that are, uh, you know, most people wouldn't recognize the names, but a guy like Justin Griner, who's uh, probably biggest accomplishment. He'll be going to med school next year. That's his goal. And uh, has been a great, great look team player for us through the years. Nick Kuchel's played well on special teams. So, you know, it's a mix of guys, and that's that's what makes football so interesting. But uh, the, the big thing is 
because all these guys have been committed and I think you know, it's probably true in any program for, for someone to be a senior and finish up their career as a senior. Uh, they've gone a hard road and you know paid the price academically, uh, citizenship-wise as well as football. So you know, I've got tremendous respect for all the guys that uh, are going to be out there Saturday and uh, all of us are extremely appreciative of what they've given us. It's just been you know, a great group to work with. They've done a lot of good things on the field too, by the way. That's pretty important too, especially these last three years. Ference was asked about expectations for this team going into the season. My expectations, I don't. I wouldn't describe them as lofty. I would say they've uh, been the same every year, uh, almost every year. Uh, first couple of years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, realistically say that we were competing for a championship. But I think once we moved into the 2002 area, it was certainly a goal of ours, uh, collectively, not just mine. And I think that's probably true of most teams in the conference. You know, you, you want to be conference champions, and that, that's kind of where it ends. And after that, you know, our goal is to do the best we can each week. You know, it starts with, uh, you know, preparing well and then playing well. And uh, that's what the goal is. It hasn't changed. And, I, you know, I can't, and I told our players this back in January, uh, reemphasized it in the spring and certainly went through it again in August. And uh, as the season goes on, you remind them, you can't control what other people's expectations are. Those are external thoughts. Yeah, you know, the experts aren't always right. That's uh, pure and simple. You know, if they go back and look it up, Oregon was behind us, at least in two of the major polls, preseason polls. I think, that, you know, they got that wrong. Oregon's been averaging about 50 points a game and put 15 up the other night. I doubt the experts predicted that they, they you know missed on that one too that's just how it goes you know if you're trying to predict it's it's uh you know nobody can predict all the things that happen during the course of a season i do know that there are a couple of teams that were ranked ahead of us going into the year that you know are probably ranked behind us right now uh this stuff about other people's expectations you know our, our uh responsibility is not to live up to anyone else's expectations it's to do the best we can do and that's uh, that's that's how we try to evaluate and assess you know where we're at and uh, i've said this before too i'll assess this season when, to, when it's over you know it's not over yet so we still have three games to play and that's that's all we need to worry about right now is doing the best with uh, what's in front of us. Ference talks about his senior quarterback Ricky Stanzi who will play his last game in Kinnick this Saturday. We thought he had a chance to develop into a really good quarterback and that's exactly what he's done and the credit goes to him he's worked extremely hard. Uh, he wasn't recruited by a lot of schools for a reason I mean you know he was a, a good solid prospect but you know not a you know knocked down you know eight star recruit one of those guys but uh, you know a lot of good players come from that that stock and the same thing happens in the NFL there are a lot of guys that get drafted uh, after the first round that are you know historically pretty good quarterbacks and uh, you know I think I heard on the poll a week or two ago that uh, what in uh, Montana Joe Montana first second third player in the in the history you know I can't remember what round he was but you know he was down the road a little bit and you know Johnny Unitas was playing for the Morningside Bulldogs so I mean it's you know we're looking for guys that have a chance to develop and Ricky uh, sure fit that mold and he's done a great job. Ference was asked how good running back Adam Robinson can become. He just has to keep his foot on the gas, which I think he's done. You know, he's worked hard every, uh, you know, every, every opportunity he's had. He plays extremely hard, and uh, it's, it's uh, I don't want to say he plays in a nondescript way, but it, it's amazing to me. A lot of people have just kind of, he's kind of been on, under a lot of people's radar. Extremely productive, you know. And again, I, I, I mention this every time I talk about him. Uh, obviously, he runs the ball well. He's productive there. He, he's good in the passing game. But the things you don't notice are his, his blocking. His blocking's uh, typically right on and and he also is a high energy player which there's a to me a lot of value in that guys that are high energy and really tough and uh, he has those two attributes so you know I hope he has a great future yeah back in the summertime going back to expectations you know everybody uh, thought we had three outstanding running backs and that that shifted a little bit so you can't predict those things but you know we think he has an opportunity to have a great career and Kirk talks about Ohio State's highly ranked defense Uh, they're they're just really good they've had a few injuries this year in their back end I guess and then the other thing too I mean they they graduated they're heavy graduation losses uh, were up front. But, you know, if you turn on the film as good as they were a year ago, you turn on the film this year and it looks the same. You know, different
different guys. Uh, Hayward's still back, and he's one of the premier players in the country. Uh, but the other, other three guys that are starting are just, you know, they're awfully good players. You know, uh, these guys are they're very well coached. They're very talented. Uh, and obviously they're very deep because they graduate guys, the next guys look the same. And I go back to 06, you know, they, they just uh, throttled us in 05. I think they graduated uh, eight or nine guys to the NFL off that defense. They came into our game in 06, ranked higher than they were the year before defensively. So, yeah, it really speaks well to the talent that they have and it also speaks well to the coaching that their players get and uh, the way they play. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough challenge. Ohio State head coach Jim Tressel was asked to characterize his team's play this season on the road. We haven't been on the road that much. We, we happen to have had seven home games thus far, and, and uh, you know I thought when we went to Illinois, we faced a very good Illinois team and had some adversity and got behind, had a little bit of uh, wind adversity, which uh, kind of made it a tale of two quarters each half, and uh, I thought we handled that well. I thought they... Uh, Played a very good game, and we were able to come up with a Big Ten win. Uh, then we went over to Wisconsin and, and didn't fare as well. Uh, we didn't start the game out very well. We uh, let a kickoff return go for a touchdown, then we let a significant punt return go and a short field for a 14 to nothing deficit. And against a team that good, uh, that's very, very difficult. And so obviously we didn't fare well there, and we were up in Minnesota. And uh, that was a little bit different situation. They were in kind of flux there with the changing in coaches and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, it was a night game, so we had to sit around all day. And, and uh, But I thought our guys handled that pretty well. And, and then obviously, you know, the most difficult situation that you face is going into a place like Kinnick Stadium uh, at this time of year. Uh, it's going to be a tremendous challenge. and. and we better be a good road team. Tressel was asked how conscious his players are of going for the all-time conference record in terms of consecutive championships. Gosh, I don't know. I, I've never heard him discuss it, but we're not with them, uh, you know, as much as some people are. But and when we're with them, we're focused on the task at hand, whether it be a practice film or game plan meeting or watching opponent film and so forth. But you know, I, I've I've never heard any any discussion of that. I, I'm sure as we began the Big Ten schedule, it was obviously a goal of ours, uh, but as soon as you get punched in the nose in the Big Ten and get reminded of how hard the journey is, uh, it brings you back to reality and, and uh, you know, there's two very, very critical weekends left for the whole conference and, and uh, that's a lot of football to be played. Tressel talks about the challenges presented by Iowa's defense and about the play of safety Tyler Sash. The beautiful thing about every member of their defense is they play their position, their technique, their responsibility extremely well. Wherever they're supposed to be, they will be. And uh, they happen to do it with great talent as well and really great experience. Uh, I don't know that their scheme has changed dramatically over the years, but this is one of those years where they're very, very experienced. And uh, they got those front guys that have been playing a long time, and Tyler's been playing back there a long time, and he knows, you know, he can read route progression. He knows, you know, what we like doing. He's faced us before and all those kinds of things. But he'll always stay within the responsibility of the defense, and that's why they're so good on defense. Tressel was asked about Adrian Claiborne facing special blocking schemes to try to minimize his impact. Oh, I think there's no question when you watch the film, there's one guy blocking him and 
somebody helping a significant part of the time or a running back coming out on the way out to his route, uh, getting a little chip on him or whatever. But uh, he's a game changer, and, and uh, he's doing just fine. There was talk of missed tackles again in the first half of the Penn State game. Tressel was asked how much focus coaches now place on that problem. I know this, uh, on days that we don't play as good a defense, you can trace it back to missed tackles. There's no question. Um, I think running backs and quarterbacks that carry the ball and so forth uh, give you that challenge of being tackle breakers. I don't hear it talked about by coaches from a grand scheme of things. Uh, now, when you're sitting there watching the film, it's pretty easy to, to uh, say, hey, this defense, everything was in place except we missed the tackle, and you know you evaluate it that way. But uh, there's an awful lot of good skilled athletes I think field is spread out and being used from sideline to sideline and goal line to goal line maybe more than it was 25 years ago. And uh, so when you get out in space, there's going to be you know more chance of missing a tackle on a very good athlete without question. And fans often wonder how head coaches evaluate their assistants. Tressel talks about that process at Ohio State. We do most of our evaluations on an ongoing uh, basis from a standpoint of almost daily expectations. And then at the end of the year, after recruiting ends and all those things, uh, we take a lot more in-depth uh, evaluation system. And starting with what that person felt as if they did well and and uh, what they feel as if they need to get much better at. And, and uh, then you kind of find out if that's in concert with what you were thinking and what you observed on that ongoing basis. And, and so it, we, we spend a lot of time in dialogue uh, on evaluation. See what the high tempo offense can do. Could take an All-America candidate, put him on the sidelines, gasping for air. He's got to be back in there now. I mean, he's an all-Big Ten performer, All-American candidate. I understand getting rest, but you're getting in the fourth quarter. And another drop, and then on the redirection, Jeremiah Hunter picks it off for Iowa. First turnover of the game, and it comes with Northwestern driving. 15 INTs for Iowa this year. They've got 36 the last two years. We welcome back former Hawkeye and NFL star Marv Cook for his weekly stint on Hawkeye's mic. Sean Patchett visits with Marv. As a player, how gut-wrenching was last week's loss at Northwestern costing you a shot at the Big Ten title and a BCS Bowl? Uh, brutal. You know, especially with what's, what's ahead of them here this week with Ohio State. I mean, they, they were sitting right where they needed to be and and completely controlling their destiny. And now basically it's out of the way. So devastating from that standpoint, but yet... You know, the lessons learned from the week prior weren't enough to, to help them overcome it. So uh, a tough loss and, and one that's going to be very, very difficult to overcome. Uh, Northwestern now five of six and nine out of 14. How do you explain this? You know, they're patient. They, they have a good scheme. they got a good package. Their personnel is, uh, is they put the right guys in the personnel package they have, and they're disciplined. You know, and if, you, if you're willing to, to take what they give you, you know, settle for a three-yard play uh, instead of trying to force it down the field and you're willing to do that and move the chains and, and you have the guys in the positions that can make the plays, then you can, you can have some success. It takes time, but it takes a lot of patience and then it takes guys that can step up and make the play when they need to on third and seven. 
or something like that. So you need somebody to make a big catch, and, and they've got the guys that can do that. Uh, do you think the Hawks looked like they weren't ready to play last Saturday? Were there any similarities to the game at Indiana? You know, I think a lot of that is, is just the schemes and the, the teams that you play force you into looking not, like, ready. Uh, just the packages they put together, you know, I think, you know, Iowa can test them extremely well. You know, Claiborne about took his head off, you know, two or three times. and. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just you got to give Northwestern credit. They're great playmakers over there. The quarterback was very elusive and kept plays alive. And and uh, if you get a quarterback that can buy two or three extra seconds on the play, guys are going to get open. You know, they're going to be able to make plays happen. And and uh, you know, I thought defensively we played well enough to win. I just thought offensively we we, we shot ourselves in the foot too many times. And, and our running game was just inept at times. I mean, they they looked like they knew what the play was. They were in our backfield more than anybody I've seen all year. So. Uh, a little shock from that standpoint. Uh, you've mentioned uh, several times Iowa doesn't really score a lot of points. They don't really put opponents away. Uh, they never really go for the jugular. Do you think this is frustrating for offensive players, and uh, does it make it more difficult to recruit big play receivers? Or well, that's a good question. And, you know, this is the year that we've got them with uh, DJK and McNutt and, and Stanzi and, and company. and. But, you, you know, ultimately, you still have to be able to run the football effectively, you know, and, and, you know, there was some rain and some wind and stuff. So, I mean, ultimately, you need to be able to run the ball. And, and, and you know, that's why Wisconsin is able to hang 83 on Indiana is just because, you know, they could they could not be stopped in doing what they do. Um, you know, and Iowa, I think, stopped ourselves at times. We got away from the run a little bit. And, and we got into second and 13s too many times. I mean, those are hard to overcome. So, you know, we needed to be running the ball effectively on first down, and we weren't able to do it. So frustrating, but we don't run the spread. We don't run the, you know, the, the, the sexy offenses that are out there that if I'm a skilled guy, I would want to come be a part of. I mean, we're a blue-collar team, and we need blue-collar guys up front that are going to, you know, run the football for us. When the NFL evaluates talent, how does a game like Stenzi had at Northwestern, uh, that matter, Indiana, especially with Purse's performance, affect Ricky's standing and likely draft position? Well, you know, I mean, obviously it's not good, but I mean, he's still done, has been so successful. You know, and, and ultimately they're going to look at the throws. I mean, you know, look at some of these guys, you know, Matthew Stafford, who'd have thought he'd been one of the top picks in the draft. I mean, with the NFL looks at size, arm strength, you know, throwing mechanics, you know, some athleticism, but ultimately they want to see how fast you can throw the out route, how, you know, if you can bang the dig and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, that's that's what they're going to look for. But, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a winner. He's a proven winner. He's won in big games. And, and obviously in, in some of these other games he hasn't come up, and the last two games have been subpar to his standards, but for the most part he's been pretty solid. What did you see out of Iowa's offense in the Northwestern game that you liked? Well, Reisner made some catches, and, and, and I, th I thought his clock management right before the half was not good. I thought he should have tried to get out of bounds there and save the timeout for us before the half. But, uh, you know, but ultimately, there's not enough. I mean, we didn't score enough points to win. I mean, that's the bottom line. Is, you know, we're designed to win football games. And, and how does, it, how does it Wisconsin put 83 on Indiana, and we, we don't put more than, what, 17 or 18 or 19? I mean, it's, you know, we've got to be better offensively. Uh, and, and we've got to make plays. In all three losses, it could have been four against Indiana. Why is the defense tanking so badly late in the fourth quarters and giving up these big drives? Well, you know, part of it is just the, the, the systems that we play against and the amount of snaps that they get at us. I've always said this, that, 
you know, the good offense is the best defense is a good offense. And if your offense can stay on the field, move the ball, uh, chew up clock. The problem is when you give Big Ten staffs and coaches the ability to see the defense for the 10th, 11th, 12th possession, they're going to start figuring out what you're doing. They're going to start figuring out where the mismatches are, and they're going to start taking advantage of those things as the game goes along. And so, you know, when Iowa's offense doesn't move the ball, they don't get through, you know, they go three and out, or they, they don't change the field position over the course of a game, you know, now you're looking at the, the 10th or 11th or 12th time that this offense is taking the field against your defense, and they're going to start figuring you out. And, uh, you know, they're going to be good enough that they can get some plays dialed in that they think they can take advantage of what we're doing. When you see Iowa's D linemen gassing the sidelines late in the fourth quarter, what goes through your mind? Well, you got to understand, these guys are big guys. And, and, and they are a lot of times are forced to rush one on two, one on three. And, and we're trying to create pressure with four guys for the most part. So they are, they are ultimately being doubled and triple teamed a lot. And it's, you know, they're chasing and getting after it. And on defense, you have to run to the football every snap. Offensively, if you miss your block or the guy comes off, you can kind of jog behind it. But on defense, you have to run and sprint to the football. And when you've got a spread offense that's going sideline to sideline, even though it's a two-yard gain, your D linemen have run probably 30, 40-yard sprints for that play, even though it was a two-yard gain. So then they got to line up and do it again. And, and so when you start looking at an offense taking, you know, 65, 70, 75 snaps against your defense, it, it gets tough. I mean, it's, it, and especially this type, it's not like they're just sitting there lining up and running right at you. Like I said, you've got to sprint sideline to sideline. You've got to chase the quarterback. He's an elusive guy. He makes you miss. Now you got to run 15 more yards and try to get him. It, it takes a toll. As a coach, uh, knowing you're going to be facing that kind of situation with Northwestern's offense, is there nothing you can do to better prepare for that? Well, I mean, I, I think you've you got to look at the schemes and you got to try to take away what they want to do. You know, I've always said that if you want to, you know, don't let a team beat you with what they do. Make them beat you with something they're not used to or not comfortable doing. And I think Northwestern is comfortable doing that, spreading them out, taking the five-yard dinks and dunks, and, and then taking their selective shots down the field. I mean, you got to force them to get out of that comfort zone and really challenge those receivers up on the line. And I think athletically, we should be good enough we can get up and jam guys, run with them, uh, you know, change up some coverages of some man, some man blitzes, uh, and, and create a little bit of a confusion for the quarterback. But, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, defensively, I thought we were good, good enough to win. And if offensively, you know, I think we, we had a two-possession game there, and we had a chance to probably go up three possessions, and, and we, we didn't take advantage of it. And, you know, to Northwestern's credit, they were able to come back and make enough plays to win. Uh, we've seen Kirk's teams get better as the season unfolds and play their best in November. Why do you think that this is not the case this year, at least so far? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, other than, you know, schedule um, and, ex and high expectation, you know, I mean, I think there's a high expectation element to this team on what we could do. And I think, you know, the, our lack of the ability just to, to line up and pound the ball has hurt us a little bit. I mean, you know, I mean, there's certain games when you, you've got to line up and go three yards, three yards, four yards for first down, take two minutes off the clock, change field position, do all those things. And I don't think we've, the last three or four weeks, been effectively able to, to, to accomplish that from a running game standpoint. 
Uh, there's been a lot of discussion and speculation again this week about Ferentz refusing to make any changes whatsoever in his schemes. Uh, last Saturday, Eddie Podolak said in his pregame comments that this late in the season, opponents have analyzed and documented all of your tendencies and that it's absolutely critical to move away from those tendencies and shake things up. Uh, yet, at least to many observers, you don't see Ferentz doing that. Do you agree with Podolak? Well, I mean, I think that's, you know, we are a zone team. We're an inside-outside zone team, and, and uh, you know, I think if you go back to a couple years ago, Minnesota, I think they understand how we're trying to block zone, and, and by uh, a mere alignment can cause problems for your defense or for your for your uh, for your offense by you know putting a guy in a gap and slanting him hard. It forces you know you're going to create penetration, and that's what beats the zone team is penetration. So you know I think you've got to be careful that you don't you know you you have tendency breakers that you do do things that look like something and then they are something else. Um, you know, and like I said, it's it's one thing. It's one thing if you are hammers up front and you can line up and just say, we're going to take it. I don't care what you do. We can tell you what we're going to do. We're gonna, and that's where Wisconsin is right now. Is They could tell them, we're going to run ISO over here, and they'd run it, and they would still gain yards. I mean, that's, that's where they're at physically up front. We're not there where if a team gets into an alignment that stresses us, they're going to get penetration. We're going to have a minus two or three yard play, and that's, that's going to cause us problems. So from that, be, that being the case, you've got to protect yourself against those situations and be ready to counter with something else. In regards to performance, when you look back over the last three games, is the Michigan State game the anomaly, or are the Northwestern and Indiana games? Uh, that's a tough one too, because I, I think they're all pictures of where this team is. I mean, I think talent. This could be the best three-loss team ever in the history of college football, in my opinion. But yet, you know, we're, we we're, we could say we're two plays away from being, you know, the the best ever five-loss team. You know, I mean, it, and we go back to two or three years ago. I think it was a similar situation. We ended up ten and two, and we could have looked up and said two plays, you know, two or three plays, and we could have been undefeated. And you could also make the same case that two or three plays go against us, we would have been six and five or six and six. If you're going to be a dominant team, you've got to put teams away, and you've got to be better, and you can't let them hang around, hang around, hang around, and, and that's going to come back and bite you. Before we turn to the Ohio State game, would you like to talk a minute about your undefeated Regals uh, and their Class 2A title game against North Polk coming up this Saturday? Yeah, you know, we've had a great season thus far, but uh, it all leads to this. You know, we're obviously playing the second-best team in the state right now, no matter what the rankings say or, or did come into the season. This is the last team standing, and, and uh, you know, they've gotten better, consistently better each and every week over the last eight, nine weeks. And and uh, we've watched them play the, the semifinal game, and they were, they they've dismantled uh, a number seven-ranked uh uh, Sheridan team so you know they're going to be ready they're going to be fired up and uh, it's going to pose a great challenge for us uh, but uh, you know we've got a great group of seniors that I think are pretty locked in and focused and hopefully have a couple more good days of practice here and we'll be ready. Some are saying that the best thing for the Hawks trying to bounce back against Northwestern is facing a team like Ohio State. How valid is that as a player or a coaching staff? I think it's I think it's very valid, and, and I think we're almost lucky from the standpoint that they know it's got to be a no-nonsense game. I mean, you know, uh, this would have been easy after the Indiana game, after the Northwestern game, to really get into a funk and a haze. But, you know, Ohio State's different. They're not like Northwestern Indiana. They don't do what they do. They do kind of what we do. Uh, and, you know, from a physical standpoint defensively, I think that plays into our hands a little bit. 
And, you know, like I said, my biggest thing is we've got to find ways to score points offensively. I mean, we cannot be scoring 17, you know, 18, 20 points against, you know, the mid-teams in the Big Ten. We need to find a way to make plays and score 25, 30, 35 points like we did against Michigan State. You know, that's how you beat Ohio State. That's how you, you control these games. And, and uh, obviously, we've got to find ways offensively to score points. We've touched on this in past seasons, but your perspective is always interesting. This is a big senior class for the Hawks playing their last game in Kinnick, including a lot of starters and key performers. How does that impact their preparation and approach to this game, uh, maybe as opposed to others, uh, let alone bringing on Ohio State? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a there's like probably a perfect storm from that standpoint. You got, you got homecoming, or you got a home game, you got Ohio State, and then you got senior night. And, and for this class, I mean, this is a group of guys that have been together, have had an extreme amount of success here at the university, and, and could possibly go down as, you know, one of the deepest and, you know, playing in all the different championship games and the first team to win a, you know, a BCS game for Iowa. Uh, you know, I mean, those are great things. And, and, and this is going to be their last time they walk off Kinnick Stadium, you know, and, and rest assured they're going to want to walk off their winners. And, uh, and, and this is the game they'll remember for the rest of their lives out of all the games they've played probably. So uh, it's, it should be a great setting. Obviously, it's a great college football game with Ohio State. And then, you know, to see your parents and, and to think back. And what we always tell our kids is, you know, think back at that junior high, that grade school when you were first maybe broke your arm or something and your parents had to take you to the emergency room and, and you were crying. And, you know, I mean, I mean it, it, it's all the sacrifices that the parents have made to get you in a position to be able to play college football and do something you love. Uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a reward to them. Uh, on you know in your effort that you play with that last game how do you see the Hawks matching up offensively and defensively you know I think defensively it's going to be a great matchup they obviously got skilled players Terrell Pryor is a very gifted quarterback I don't think he's as accurate as some of these guys we've been facing the last two weeks so I think that will pose some opportunities to create uh, interceptions and turnovers I think our defensive line is physically ready to take on the offensive line at Ohio State and and so I think defensively I like where we're at we just got offensively find ways to run the football I mean we if we want to try to throw it against these guys now Ohio State's gonna have guys that can cover our guys I mean they've got some talented guys in the back end so we've got to be able to run the ball creates third and short third manageable and if we can't run the ball against these guys we're in for a long long night what should we look for early in this contest as the game unfolds? Just positive yards running. You know, the exact opposite of what we saw the last couple of weeks with our running game as far not 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 Indiana, but with Northwestern is you cannot we cannot be losing yards on first down. Uh, we have to be in second and short, second and medium, third and short uh, to be successful against Ohio State. Otherwise, it could turn into an ugly ugly day. So, you know, we've got to be effective running the football. We've got to mix it up with some good play actions. And we've got to be solid on special teams. You know, we, we can't be making mistakes, and they're going to have some speed guys on returning, and we got to make sure we're locking those guys down and, and not letting a special teams play, uh, you know, really affect the outcome of the game. Final score prediction? Well, it's senior night. It's home. I'm going to go with Iowa is going to end up winning 23-17. to 17. Hello. Good evening, and welcome to the middle of the film. Play action for Stancy on second and long. Going to air it out. And it's intercepted. Brian Peters with the big pick. 
Only the fourth interception thrown by Stanzi this year. I don't think he ever saw Peters. That's huge because Iowa was moving the ball. One more touchdown of the game's probably over, but Stanzi throws an INT. I think he had it in his mind where he was going with the football because he had McNutt crossing at a different level, level below where Johnson Koulianos was. In the Big Ten Notebook this week, we're down to the last two weekends of Big Ten play, and at least three teams still have a legitimate shot at the conference title, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Ohio State, all with just one loss. It's still mathematically possible for Iowa to end in a tie, but highly unlikely at this point. Ohio State is shooting for a record-tying sixth straight championship if it wins out against the Hawks in Michigan. The conference has featured multiple champions in five of the last ten seasons. The Big Ten now has five teams ranked in one or more of the polls. As Northwestern broke into that group after its win over Iowa last Saturday, Wisconsin still leads the way, including in the BCS rankings, which could be the tiebreaker for the Rose Bowl berth. After Iowa struggled to score just 18 points against Indiana the week before, Wisconsin racked up 83 points against the Hoosiers last Saturday. That point total is the highest by a Big Ten team in a conference game in 60 years. The Big Ten will feature two games played at neutral sites this coming weekend, the first such contest since the 2000 campaign. Indiana will host Penn State at FedEx Field in suburban Washington, D.C., but the game that has generated the most buzz will be in Chicago when Northwestern hosts Illinois at Wrigley Field for the Land of Lincoln Trophy, the first college game played in the friendly confines since 1938. The Wildcats want to win to better position themselves for a bowl bid, while the Illini need a victory to become bowl eligible after failing to achieve that status last week when they were upset in Champaign by Minnesota. The Iowa-Ohio State game also has significant bowl implications. A win by the Hawks would, for all practical purposes, knock the Buckeyes out of the Big Ten title chase and could cost them a BCS bowl bid as well. An Iowa win could also significantly boost its chances for a New Year's Day bowl. One other note, for his terrific performance against the Hawks last week, Northwestern quarterback Dan Persa was named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Little consolation after his season-ending injury. How much time? 30. 30 seconds. I'm on right now. I don't believe you. Persa going to throw on first and goal. Hit as he throws, and it's caught. Ebert, touchdown, Wildcats. 13-play, 85-yard touchdown drive in 4 minutes and 35 seconds. 17-14 and plenty of time left. Time now for our Reporters Roundtable with Pat Hardy and Rob Howe. You can read Pat's articles and columns in the Iowa City Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. You can check out Rob's features at HawkeyeInsider.com. Sean Patchett talks with Pat and Rob about last week's game and this Saturday's contest. A uh, devastating loss for the Hawkeyes last Saturday in Evanston. The Wildcats fifth over Iowa in the last six game and nine out of the last 14. Well, I did not realize nine out of the last 14, but I guess when you go back to the mid-90s when 
Pat Fitzgerald was a player, they did win, I know, at least back-to-back. So, yeah, you could, I mean, the Pat Fitzgerald has Iowa's number. I think it's safe to say that right now. The, I guess you could argue about whether Iowa gave that game away or did Northwestern take it. I think it was a little of both. I think Iowa gave them opportunities to seize the momentum, and they did do that. But now, like Kirk says, it's back to work. Yeah, I'm, it's a trend. It's, I mean, it's, you can't deny, you know, 5 out of 6 and 9 out of 14. And, you know, they've got a positive trend against Penn State. It's just some, sometimes you can't explain these things other than I think Kirk makes a good point. Northwestern just played better. For more often than not, you get like Kirk says, you get what you deserve. Northwestern deserved to win that game, and that's why they did. Yeah, when they were down 17-7, they needed an unbelievable effort by their quarterback, and they got it. A lot of attention has been paid to Iowa's defensive collapse late in this game. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But isn't it equally appropriate to focus on Iowa's offensive struggles, scoring only 18 and 17 points respectively in the last two games? Yeah, that's why I wrote my column was it was a team effort. I mean, you win and lose as a team. And I thought everybody was equally accountable. I think special teams were okay for the most part. Donahue was a little inconsistent. Donahue was a little inconsistent early on, but I think offense and defense were equally accountable. They kind of fed off each other. You know, that's the thing. You point to the defense letting down late in the three losses. I know people have made a point of that, but, uh, you know, they scored, what, 17-10 and 17 in the last three games against Northwestern? I just, that's not enough points. You know, they scored 18 at Indiana and 17 at Northwestern after scoring 30 against Wisconsin and 37 against Michigan State. It, it really doesn't make any sense, but they're, they're struggling right now on offense, and it's little things. It's penalties. They had penalties on their first two drives the other day. You know, drop passes, uh, throwing in the double coverage instead of hitting McNutt underneath. It just too many mistakes. Coker tripping over the uh, yeah. Vanderbilt, that could have been a huge gain, and it turned out to be like a two-yard gain. How much has Ricky Stanzi damaged his chances at all Big Ten in the last couple of weeks? They're gone. I pretty much think they're gone. If he comes out and throws for 400 yards and they win these next two games at 300 yards, he'd have a chance. But to me, it's Terrell Pryor's to lose at this stage. Persa would have had my vote, but I can't see him getting it with not playing in the last two games. But I just cannot see any scenario that has Ricky really getting back into it. Are we talking first team all Big Ten here, or are we just yeah, talking first or I'm second team? I'm first team. I could see him making second Yeah. Team. If they win these last two games and he has a good game against Ohio State. Yeah. Nord Robinson will have too many losses to have his stats offset. Them. Yeah, I think for him to get first or second team, they have to beat Ohio State. I don't. Uh, other than that, if they if they lose to Ohio State and even beat Minnesota and he has good numbers, I, the the talent pool is just too deep in the Big Ten this year. They have to beat Ohio, they have to beat Ohio State with him leading the way too. I think. So it could happen. Looking at the defensive struggles this year, coming at the end of the games, all three losses are late in the fourth quarter on big drives. Uh, Indiana should have won in a similar fashion. Again, we know what is happening, but in your opinion, why is this happening? That's hard to say. Other teams are just rising to the occasion, and Iowa isn't. That's the best way I can explain it. It's not like I don't. It's not like I see anything fundamentally not sound. I just think that when crunch time comes, the defense has not been able to rise to the occasion. Really, on those four series, because the Belcher thing, he dropped, catches that pass, and that's we're talking about four. To me, it's that. I think also injuries at linebacker have had to affect it a little bit. Their linebackers are really depleted, and they were a question mark to begin with. 
So you took a questionable position, depleted it with injuries. As great as James Morris is, he had trouble keeping up with Jeremy Ebert, the Big Ten's leading receiver last year. And I think that combination of just teams rising up and what's going on at linebacker and the new guys in the secondary, I just think it's kind of contributed to that. And I'll put a little bit on the offense, too, not, not keeping the defense off the field. They got gassed against Northwestern. They were just – Claiborne had to take himself out. Uh, and, and in the three of the four law, three of the four games that we're talking about, Indiana, Northwestern, and Arizona, all of those teams run a quick drop, quick release offense where the defensive line just got to keep coming and maybe not getting to the quarterback. And uh, that wears you down, especially when your offense isn't sustaining drives throughout the game. We typically talk year in and year out about how fans coach teams get better as the season goes along, usually playing the best in November. It's certainly not the case this year. No, this year's kind of turned out to be like 05. That's what it's starting to remind me of. That team had a lot of veteran experienced players, Chad Greenway, Abdul Hodge, Drew Tate is a junior, reigning Big Ten quarterback, and it just kind of, that thin line between victory and defeat, it crossed over to defeat. Just had some unlucky bounces. Remember the onside kick against Northwestern and Chad Greenway's personal foul. I mean, they Northwestern should not have won that game, and I think they ended up coming back from two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. That's what this year right now is starting to remind me of is the 05 team, a team with better talent than maybe its record will indicate at the end of the season. But we'll see. But yeah, I mean, they're still the Ohio's. They could still go 10 and 3. They win these next two games, finish 6 and 2 in the Big Ten regular season. That's, that's, what a, I that's a darn good season. And so that's what we both we'll predict. see. That's but good. you're right. The pattern, the trend to this point, they peaked against Michigan State and have fallen off the last two weeks. If that continues the last two weeks, then yeah. Then that, that you know, that's saying that Ferentz teams, teams get better in November doesn't hold much water this year. How do you explain so many penalties? Uh, this late in the season. Just carelessness. I mean, just not getting things done. Marcus Zusevich had a big offside penalty that got things going or false start. False start. He's in his first year starting, but he's nine games into it. I don't know if you can still say that. They're just having break. Then the second series, Darrell gets the block in the back. That's a fifth-year senior. And that was laziness. I watched that play. He just didn't make the effort. Things are just – sometimes those things happen. There's other times where maybe they make these penalties and they don't get called. I think right now they're just – it's just – there's really no explanation for it. Things like this just happen. The Northwestern loss sparked a lot of reaction and discussion once again about Iowa's offensive and defensive schemes. You both wrote columns about it this week. Uh, Pats especially was very defensive of Iowa and friends. How do you respond to those who argue that say you can stay true to your basic schemes but that it would be better to at least put some new wrinkles uh, in that cause opponents more trouble? I think they have. I mean, they've run 3-4 this year. They ran quite a bit of nickel against Northwestern. They tried to do some things. It's hard when you're so depleted at linebacker, um, you know, and you don't have a lot of depth at defensive back. It's tough sometimes to run schemes that people want to do. They blitzed a little bit more on Saturday. It wasn't a lot, but I know James Morris blitzed several times. I think think maybe they get stereotyped too much as stubborn and not being a little bit – not having that ability to uh, to change what they do. And on offense, you know, they they ran a, a McNutt to DJK play this year. They've The last few years, they've used Cheney a lot on ends around. They, they, I mean, I think they've done some things, but that's as far away from that base offense and defense as they comfortable, are comfortable with. And I look at Wisconsin. They're 9-1 right now, and their predictability on offense, nobody cares. But when they're losing, their fans say the same thing. And they talk about how they're so stubborn about using personnel. Do you think Jake Christensen thinks they're stubborn? I mean, they 
he they were tired of him and they made a switch. They've been known to they'll, they'll switch personnel. And I look back when Brad Banks was their quarterback. When they had a mobile quarterback, they used him running a lot more. It's not like they just kept him in the pocket. They will adjust to their personnel, but these fans that think that they should just switch to a spread offense, they don't have the receivers for a spread offense. They, I mean, I think the receiver core, this won't make sense because Darrell and Marvin McNutt are very good players, don't get me wrong. But I think the overall strength, we were calling this the deepest and most talented receiving core they've had in a while. I don't think that's the case. I think other than those two and Sandham in a little bit, the receiving core is, to me, is overrated. And you can't just change your offense if you don't have the recruit, the kind of personnel to fit that offense. What do you make of Bob Greasy's comments during the game that Pat Fitzgerald and several of the Northwestern players said that Iowa is very easy to prepare for because they never change anything? What about Penn State? Penn State's predictable and don't change much. The three teams that are in the race, yeah, and Kirk said it yesterday, Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin. They don't change anything. They're, they're, they're basic. I mean, they do some different things. You know, the fake punt Wisconsin ran against Iowa. You know, I just, Kirk and his staff aren't going to do things like that a whole lot. But remember the fake field goal they tried at Ohio State? Yep, they they do try every once in a while. But, yeah, he's right. That's the, the three most predictable teams leading right now. And then I still look back to that Penn State game. They were behind 21 enough that it's not like Joe Paul went to a spread offense. They kept doing what they do. They just executed. Talk about this senior class at Iowa and what those guys have meant to the program. I think it's been a really good senior class. I mean, these are these are the kids that to me, went through some of those struggles in the middle of last decade, you know, 2006, 2007, a little bit in 2005 with under, maybe underachieving with, you know, with the personnel they had. But, um, you know, I think a lot is to be determined here. Julian Vanderbilt said after the Northwestern game, it's now time for us to help build momentum to the future. Because if they were to lose these last two games or lose two of the last three games, then you go into the offseason, you got a lot of new guys coming back next year, and it's you, you, it's a little bit more dicey, a little bit more sketchy as, as what their legacy will be going forward. You look at the 2008 and 2009 classes, they both left on a high note. They finished strong at the end of the seasons. They both won, won bowl games in January. This team, I th- this team and this senior class, I think their legacy is still to be determined. I agree with that. And also, the, the fifth-year seniors on this team were true freshmen in 06 when that team fell apart. I think they saw that, and they think they kind of saw how not to do things. That I think that season just proved a great example of what can happen if you don't stay united, if you lose your focus. And I look at them, they still have three games left, which means – they still have a chance, I believe, to win 36 games. I think they've won 33 games during their time. They win 36 games. That's that's an average of nine victories. That to me, that is that's a pretty good legacy. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the the thing, and just to build off what you said, they went through the 2006 and 2007. Some of the younger guys on this team think that it's. You know, January Bowls and, and Big Ten, you know, competing for Big Ten championships. The key will be for these seniors to not let the the younger guys on this team get down and, and maybe not play as hard as they need to to finish this thing strong. In terms of getting the team to bounce back after last week, is it a good thing the next opponent is Ohio State or is this a bad thing? I think it's a good thing for bouncing back purposes. I'm not sure it's a good thing for what's going to transpire on the field purposes. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that obviously they'll be focused and, you know, they're the underdog again, which they like, seem to like that role. The problem is, are they good enough to beat Ohio State? Daniel Herron's averaging, I think, 117 over the last four games. They've got that running back, which has always, to me, kind of been that question mark, but they ran through Iowa last year when everybody was criticizing their running game. They had almost 200-yard rushers, so 
Yeah, good opponent, but I don't know. It's not. We'll see what happens on the field. Some of the media coming out of Columbus, uh, people there still not convinced that the Buckeyes are their real deal. They're kind of like their fans, hard to please. I mean, <laughs> seriously, I mean, they're just very hard to please because at Ohio State, you're comparing everything to such a high standard to where unless you are clearly the top team in the Big Ten, there's going to be people out there saying that this is not a special team. That's how high the bar is there. I think they're getting better, too. I think, yeah. you know, you talk about Kirk Ferentz teams getting better in November. I think the same thing can be said about Jim Trestle teams, and I think they're starting to hit their peak now defensively. They're, they're the best defensive team in the conference, and I think I'd like to see a rematch in November between Wisconsin and Ohio State because I, I, in, in a neutral environment, I think Ohio State – could end up being, and they may be now, the best team in the conference by the end of the year. What would a win over Ohio State at this point in the season mean for the Hawks? Would it really salvage the season in the minds of the fans? It would for me because I had to go 9-3. <laughs> I, mean, I just find a lot of fans I just, yeah I find it funny that you need to salvage a season at seven and three yeah or if they finish eight and four I mean I'm not making fun of the question I'm just saying that the expectations that we thought and, and Pat and I talked about coming into this season when people ripped us for picking nine and three it's starting to come to fruition now people are freaking out about a team that's seven and three four and two in the big ten that's pretty good I mean they've finished in the top ten nationally four of the last nine years they've I mean it's this program's in pretty good shape and it hasn't always been that way and obviously a win against Ohio State is huge but I hope I just maybe I'm too optimistic but I would hope that that's this game doesn't swing people's opinion whether it's a good season or a bad season. Breaking down the game a little bit, how do you see Iowa's offense matching up against the Buckeyes defense? I don't want to say not well because I, I, I mean they did, they did okay against Ohio State for about a half and then about a half of a quarter. By that fourth quarter last year, Vandenberg was an interception late to happen. I'm not convinced they're going to be able to run the ball Saturday. I'm not convinced Ravens are going to be able to get over 100 yards and to me if they can't run the ball that kind of throws things out of sync. Then they're going to th- then eventually Ricky's not going to have as much time to pass. I just think it's definitely an advantage for Ohio State, especially considering the way Iowa's played the last two weeks. But I wouldn't be surprised if somehow Darrell comes out there and does a couple big things. I think he is going to rise to the occasion again in this game. Yeah, I agree with Pat. I think they're going to have to throw the ball. I mean, that's that's where your strength is right now. Not to take anything away from Robinson, but Ohio State will stop the running game. If you got DJK, McNutt, Reisner, three guys, I think. You get the ball in their hands and move the ball that way rather than trying to pound it into the line because this is you, you could argue Michigan State but I think this is probably the best front seven that they've faced this year um, so yeah it's going to be difficult and like we said about the defense earlier, the offense has got to sustain some drives, they can't be three and out like they were doing early last week and you know not giving the defense a chance to rest it's got to, they've got to put some drives together this week and Iowa's defense against Buckeyes offense? Well, last year, Ohio State, I think that was what was one of the most underrated stats in that game was how much yards Ohio State rushed for. They, 
I was surprised that they were able to have their way running the ball. I give the I give Ohio State a slight edge in that too, but I think that's I think the Iowa defense it would not surprise me at all if they came out and were able to stop them from running. They did it against Michigan State, but I need to see it. I'm going off what I saw last year, and I'm also going off what Daniel Heron's done in these last four games. They really seem to be coming together now on offense. And Kirk said it yesterday. This is a good offensive line that's getting better. Um, and they're all five stars. Yeah, they're all highly recruited kids. Um, and then you just you have the element of Terrell Pryor. I think he's almost been an afterthought, at least from what I've heard from Iowa fans this week, because Tressel hasn't asked, I don't think, as much as of him as he's done earlier in his career, and the kid's gotten a lot better. He's, uh, you know, you start having a key on Heron in that running game and let Pryor do some things freelance-wise. Um, yeah, it could be a long afternoon. It's going to – I think Iowa will play well defensively, but – Ohio State also has that big playability. Good receivers, too. They're, it's just typical Ohio State. Ohio there aren't State. many weak points. Nope. Players to watch and keys to the game. Well, <laughs> Pryor. I mean, you obviously got to say Terrell Pryor. And on defense for Ohio State, I'm going to say Brian Roll. He's pretty active. He's the kind of guy where if Ricky's not careful, I could see him getting a key interception. He just seems to be around the football. And for Iowa, for me, for Iowa, I'm going to say Riley Reef. I think you got to keep Ricky's blindside protected in this game. If he starts getting hit in the pocket, I think the whole offense is going to come out of sync. Yeah, got to keep an eye on Hayward. Yeah, because he's a guy that can change the game as well as roll. And they have playmakers like that. We saw against Penn State, they really weren't doing much offensively, and the defense lifted them up. On on offense wise, I, I think it comes down to. As it does every week, Ricky. Um, he, he's not played well the last two weeks. He's made poor decisions, more, poor throws, and um, you'd think he'd be motivated for this one, even if he didn't grow up a Ohio State fan. He's from the state, and, uh, you know, this is it for these guys. This is their last home game. You, you'd hope they want to go out on a high note. I think Donahue has to have a good game, too. I think he has to just have one of his best games because field position is one thing where Iowa can control that, and if they do that, that would give them an edge. What's the thinking in Vegas with Ohio State only being a three-point favorite? I think I think I, that's respect to Iowa, how they play at Kinnick, exactly. um, and kind of how these two teams match up. Um, I, I know we're not, we haven't gotten a predictions yet, but I think as we saw last year, especially at the end, last year I think it was a little bit of aberration how much scoring there was. Darrell had a kickoff return. There were some different things that happened there, but at the end of the game, it was who could be more conservative, Tressel in the last two minutes or Ference. They both, it seemed like both of them were kind of playing for overtime. I think if, if as long as there aren't any big plays and special teams and things like that, it's a low-scoring game this week, and I think that's probably has a lot to do it. If it's a lower scoring game, you're not going to have as, as large of a point spread. Yeah, I think respect for Iowa at home, like Rob said, and I wonder if some people are still thinking that there's one last bit of fight left in this Iowa team that was picked to finish so high, thinking that they may have one one or two punches left to throw, so we'll see. Final score predictions? Ohio State 23-20. Ohio State 20-16. to Any other thoughts? No. <laughs> I'm out of thoughts, too, by week 11. <laughs> Don't you have homes? If Iowa loses, it could ruin any hopes they have of a Big Ten championship. Play clock at one. They get the playoff. Here comes Claiborne. Persa gets the pass away. Jump ball. Touchdown! Demetrius Fields! Dan Persa is hurt as Northwestern goes on top with 82 seconds left. I was going to get the ball back with two timeouts and plenty of time on the clock. 
but trailing for the first time since early on in the game. HawkeyesMike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Also, visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, the latest Hawkeye and Big Ten videos, and team schedules. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget, you can subscribe to all Hawkeye's Mike podcasts through iTunes. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs on Hawk Central, Hawkeye Insider, and in the Daily Iowa. Hawkeye's Mike football shows are brought to you in part by Prefins Botanicals Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary antimicrobial hand sanitizer that is alcohol-free and lasts all day with a single application. Try the hand sanitizer the Iowa Hawkeyes use. And by the Marsh Cook Investment Group, Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network in Coralville, Iowa. Call 319-512-6261 or toll-free 800-883. 0842 Marsh Cook for all your investment needs. Iowa hosts Ohio State in another key Big Ten battle this Saturday in Iowa City, and while some of the luster has been removed from this game, it still looms large in the Hawkeye season and has major bowl implications for both teams. It will be Senior Day at Kinnick, as the largest senior class in recent years will take their home field for the last time. These players have been integral to Iowa's recent success and include many key starters. Ricky Stanzi, Darrell Johnson-Kulianos, Adrian Claiborne, Jeremiah Hunter, Christian Ballard, Ryan Donahue, Brett Greenwood, Carl Klug, Julian Vandervelde, Alan Reisner, Jeff Tarpinian, and Colin Sandeman, among others. Iowa comes into this contest with a disappointing 7-3 record overall and 4-2 in the Big Ten. Ohio State is on a roll at 9-1 overall and 5-1 in the conference. This is the 63rd game in the series, which Ohio State leads 45-14-3. The Buckeyes have won the last three and 11 of the last 12, including last year's thrilling overtime win winner in Columbus. Iowa's last win came in 2004 in Kinnick. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is in his 15th year as a head coach with an overall record of 179, while Jim Tressel is in his 25th year with a career record of 238-79-2. Tressel is also the second winningest active coach in the FBS behind only Joe Paterno, a long way behind. This game still has the potential to be a very good matchup. The Buckeyes rank fourth in the nation in pass efficiency. Iowa ranks fifth. Stanzi ranks third and Ohio State's Terrell Pryor fifth. The Buckeyes lead the nation with 17 interceptions while the Hawks are 12th with 15 and both squads have three pick sixes. Iowa and Ohio State rank first or second in the Big Ten in eight different statistical categories. Scoring defense, rushing defense, total defense, turnover margin, pass
pass efficiency defense, red zone defense, kickoff returns, and pass efficiency. Pryor comes into this game having shown steady improvement over the season, but not the spectacular play many expected. He is another dual threat quarterback who poses problems running and passing. The Buckeyes have scored 139 points in their last three games. The Buckeyes also look like they've reestablished a solid running game, with Dan Heron having gained 304 yards on 38 carries in the past two games, including 190 yards against Penn State's defense. Pryor's passing stats are much improved, with two excellent receivers in Devere Posey and Dane Sonsenbacher. Both of those guys will pose a major test for Iowa's defensive backfield. Ohio State's defense is always a force, and this year is no exception. Just look at their stats. They are still the top defense in the Big Ten. For Iowa, Ricky Stanzi gets to play his only game against his home state school, and DJK is also an Ohio native. If these two can hook up on Saturday, and they have an extra incentive to do so, it would be a big boost for the Hawks. It's interesting that the Vegas spread in this game, Ohio State by three to three and a half, hasn't really moved much. You wonder what the odds makers know. To me, the key question this week is which Iowa team shows up on both sides of the ball? Is it the offense and defense that pummeled Michigan State, or the team that struggled against Northwestern and Indiana? If it's the former, and Iowa can bounce back from last week, coupled with the intangibles this Saturday surrounding Senior Day at Kinnick Stadium, then the Hawkeyes will have a decent chance. If not, it could be a long day. There is still a lot on the line. This kind of game can define the character of a team and of a coaching staff. So what I'm gonna do is piss and moan like an impotent jerk and then bend over and take it up the tailpipe! Iowa perhaps removed from the Big Ten title hunt. Kirk Ferentz's team suffering its second conference loss. They'll host Ohio State next Saturday. Northwestern gets its seventh win, 3-3 three and three now in league play. Northwestern comes back from a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit to knock off number 13, Iowa. So Iowa now with two conference losses, and there are only three teams remaining in the Big Ten with one loss. They beat Iowa today 21-17. Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights this week. A really good job of capturing the excitement of Iowa football. And thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook, Pat Hardy, Rob Howe, and Sean Patchett. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. By phoning and making your own voice heard, call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.